Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. And a toast, my love, my dearie, to our Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. I hope you had a great couple weeks, and I am glad to have you here with me today. As you are listening to my podcast, I feel fairly confident in guessing that you listen to other history podcasts as well. I'm also confident in saying that I'm not alone in having the History of Rome podcast by Mike Duncan included in my list of favorite history podcasts of all time. Way back in the first year of the show, Mike released episode 18, A History of Rome Christmas. That episode discussed the traditions of Christmas that have their roots in the Roman Saturnalia Festival and the Feast of Sol Invictus. This episode is absolutely fascinating and provides some great insight into our modern celebrations of Christmas, including why it does not always seem like the things that we do to celebrate do not have that much to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. It also answers the question of why Roman history enthusiasts like to say Happy Saturnalia before chuckling to themselves instead of just saying Merry Christmas like a normal person. I recognize that Christmas specials in history podcasts are not exactly original, and for that I am hoping to cover content that is a little bit different from what usually goes into such episodes. Instead of focusing on pre-Christian winter festivals to explain where various traditions originated, I want to explore the actual history of the holiday itself. Was Christmas always the most popular holiday on the Christian calendar? Do those signs that demand we keep Christ in Christmas have a basis in a more religious historical past, or do we always blur the lines? By most estimates and studies, Christmas is the largest and most celebrated holiday in the world today, and it even holds a special place in several non-Christian societies. For instance, it is celebrated in Japan, even though Christians only make up 2% of the population. Our episode today will explore the origins of Christmas, chart its history since, and discuss how it grew to be the largest holiday of the year. Christmas is an annual celebration that commemorates the birth of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the Christian religion. Celebrations can include church mass and silent reflection, to drinking far too much eggnog and getting a little rowdy. Most people's image of the ideal Christmas would be the happy family sitting around a Christmas tree, exchanging a gift or two, and possibly singing some carols. Where does this tradition and image originate? If you remember back to episode 5 of the Why Is That podcast, Birthdays, then you will remember that Jews of the first century and their early Christian counterparts did not celebrate birthdays. The aversion to birthday celebrations by these groups is typically associated with a feeling that birthday celebrations was something that pagans did as the way to celebrate birthdays in the ancient world included sacrifices to the various pantheons of gods. This means that Jesus, being of the Jewish faith, would not have celebrated his own birth during his lifetime, nor would his followers, the disciples, have any reason to celebrate his birth either. Tradition holds that Jesus would have died somewhere around the year 33, but the first Christmas celebration to appear in the historical record is not until the year 336. Of course, just because it does not appear in the historic record does not mean that it did not happen. Even so, most scholars agree that Christmas was not celebrated by any Christians until the early 300s. Instead of birthday, the early Christians were far more likely to commemorate death days. If you are familiar with Christian traditions, specifically Catholic and Orthodox traditions, then you will be familiar with a saint's day. A saint is a person who personifies the values of Christians in their lives and in their death somehow help others in their worship of God. Examples of really famous saint's days would be St. Patrick's Day or St. Valentine's Day, but there are many more throughout the year. 
For just about all saints, the saint day celebration falls on their date of death and is therefore almost a death day celebration. A Christian's death date was far more important than their birth date, as if they lived righteously, then their date of death is also their date of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Many of the most famous early saints were also martyrs killed for their faith, so the added symbolism also helped rationalize believing in a religion that could very likely result in your death. The difference in importance between a birthday and a death day is also quite apparent in the story of Jesus himself. Even if you are not a Christian, you likely recognize that the Christian church has two all-important holidays on their calendars, those being Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth, and Easter, the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection. The average person today would probably rate these two holidays as fairly equal, with some even feeling that Christmas was the more important of the two. The early church, though, was 100% an Easter-centric religion. As we already discussed, Christmas was not celebrated until the 300s, but Easter was celebrated from the very first year after the resurrection. The difference in importance between the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ can be highlighted in a few ways. Our first resource for this highlight will be the Bible. The story of the life of Jesus are canonically told in four books in the New Testament of the Bible, collectively known as the Gospels. The books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of those four, only two give any significant attention to a nativity story. The book of Mark, which is traditionally the second book of the Gospels, but now most scholars believe is the oldest of the Gospels, does not even mention the birth of Jesus or any sort of Christmas story, and instead begins when Jesus is a fully grown man and is being baptized by John. The book of John has the famous passage, The Word became flesh and lived among us, in John chapter 1 verse 14, but otherwise provides no story of a baby in a manger or any of the other stories of the Christ child. Beyond the four Gospels, the New Testament contains 23 other books in it, and the only other mention of Jesus' birth comes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the appropriate time came to completion, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In contrast, all 27 books of the New Testament in some way mention the death and or resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. Some would argue it is the most important aspect of it, as it was the proof that Jesus was the Chosen One or Messiah. The early church leaders especially appreciated that fact, and perhaps unsurprisingly had many arguments about the proper way to celebrate Easter. If you listen to Pontifax Pod, a podcast that provides biographical information about each pope before rating them, then you have likely noticed many mentions of Easter, but you may not have noticed that Christmas has been entirely absent from the show throughout the first approximately 25 popes. Once again, that show is Pontifax Pod, and I definitely recommend it to anyone who's interested in papal history, or even if you're just interested in an entertaining podcast. All this to say is that Easter has been important since the very beginning, whereas if the church is approximately 2,000 years old, then the first 10 to 15% of its history, Christmas was completely non-existent. So why did that change? In the Eastern Church, and especially in the Armenian Church, there was one other holiday besides Easter that started to grow in importance. This holiday was known as the Epiphany. The Epiphany celebrates when humanity learned of Jesus Christ. Typically, this is represented as a celebration of the anniversary of the day that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, or the day that the wise men found Jesus in the manger. Armenian church tradition holds that both events occurred 30 years apart on January 6th, 
and therefore the church's second most important holiday occurred each year on January 6th. The Armenian church was separate from the Roman church due to the independence of Armenia, and the church has many of their own traditions as a result. The eastern half of the Roman Empire also started to celebrate the Epiphany holiday, but for whatever reason the western church, centered in Rome, never really celebrated the Epiphany with the same fervor. Once Christmas started to be celebrated, the Epiphany holiday remained, and the 12 days between December 25th and January 6th became an extended holiday tradition known as the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days represent the period of time between Christ's birth and the discovery of his existence by humanity. The reason why Christmas was developed or started to be celebrated is a pretty hotly debated topic that has no real clear answer. Early Christians typically believed that the second coming of Jesus and the rapture were going to occur during their lifetimes or the generation after. As such, preparing for this eventuality was a cornerstone of the religion. This combined with the on-again and off-again persecutions of Christians to create a religion that was very serious about preparing for the afterlife and for emphasizing the difference to non-Christians. Once the religion was a couple centuries old and had gained widespread acceptance during the reign of Constantine, the church authorities were able to focus on expanding the faith and less on the fatalistic worldview. A great way to expand the faith is to add a fun holiday, and not being under persecution would have allowed the Christians to create something extravagant like Christmas. The first theory then is that it developed as the religion became more comfortable on the world stage and as new people with less traditional Jewish views joined the religion. An addendum to this theory partially credits the conversion of Constantine and the preference he showed toward Christianity. A Christian Roman emperor made conversion a much more attractive proposition to Romans attempting to gain the emperor's favor. While early Christians did not celebrate birthdays, the Romans who flooded into the church certainly did. Those same Romans were also very dedicated to their late winter festivals and holidays. Christian leadership was given a chance to capitalize on the chance to become the official religion of the Roman Empire, and to attract the average Roman citizen, they added the fun Christmas holiday to attract new converts. Other explanations credit Constantine's former worship of the god Sol Invictus, which approximately translates to the unconquered sun. The most important day in the sun god's calendar was the winter solstice that fell on December 25th in the Roman calendar. Since the reign of Emperor Aurelian in the year 274, the Feast of Sol Invictus had become an official holiday in the Roman Empire. The story goes that either Constantine did not want to end December 25th celebrations, or that church leaders wanted to please Constantine by adding a familiar holiday. The joke goes that with this theory is that the church leaders turned a feast that honored the sun god to one that honored the son of God. A final theory has to do with the heresies that had started to creep into the Christian religion around the year 300. The most famous was the Arian heresy. The Arian heresy questions the divinity of Jesus Christ and subordinates him to God the Father. The Council of Nicaea was an ecumenical council convened by Constantine to address the growing heresies and establish official canon of Christianity. The council was held in the year 325 and, among other things, condemned the Arian heresy. As evidence shows that Christmas started to be celebrated around the same time as the Arian heresy was growing, it is possible that the holiday was developed by the Orthodox Church leaders as a way to combat the growing heretical beliefs. Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ and consequently his immediate divinity, therefore anyone who celebrated the holiday was automatically against the Arian heresy. 
You can pick your favorite theory. My money is that it might have been a combination of all of them, but unfortunately there is no surviving church edict that announced the celebration of Christmas or provided an explanation for why it was being added. In this little theory section, we discuss the Emperor Constantine quite a bit, but we do not really have a chance to go into who he actually was. If you want to learn more about him, then I would recommend episode 58 of the podcast, Totalis Rankium, Roman Emperors. It is one of my favorite shows and will give you a great refresher. Beyond the issue of the centrality of Easter and the Jewish-slash-early-Christian version to birthday celebrations, the other reason that the Christians did not celebrate Christmas is that there was no tradition of when Christ was born. Nowhere in the Bible was Jesus' date of birth mentioned, nor was the external evidence available enough to determine a date. Prior to the 300s, when December 25th was decided, the other most popular dates forwarded were March 25th or 28th, April 19th or 20th, May 20th, or November 18th. So why was December 25th chosen? Once again, there is no 100% consensus, but we do have some ideas. To help illustrate one of the explanations, I am going to quote St. Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was an important Christian theologian who lived from 354 to 430. He is especially known for his work, The City of God, which was written after the 410 Visigothic sack of Rome. In one of Augustine's recorded sermons, he said, Hence it is that he was born on the day which is the shortest in our earthly reckoning, and from which subsequent days begin to increase in length. He, therefore, who bent low and lifted us up, chose the shortest day, yet the one whence light begins to increase. Today we have mathematically calculated the winter solstice as falling on December 21st, but the Roman calendar held that it occurred on December 25th. That means that the Romans, and by extension the early Christians, associated the day as being the shortest of the year. Christ's date of birth then would have been symbolic for the fact that he brought light to the world. December 25th and the winter solstice were also the most important holidays for all of the various sun cults, foremost that of Sol Invictus, and early evidence does seem to indicate that Jesus was associated with various sun-based deities. With these pieces in mind, it only made sense to assign this day as his date of birth. This line of thinking can also be highlighted by the nativity of St. John the Baptist. John Saint's Day is held on June 24th, and unlike many of his fellow saints, John the Baptist's Day is held on his birthday. In the Roman calendar, June 24th was the summer solstice and the longest day of the year. The two figures were then born exactly six months apart and represented the two extremes of the length of a day. A second explanation for the date is known as the calculation theory. The calculation theory has to do with a Christian tradition known as incarnation. Incarnation is the Christian belief that relates to Jesus' divine nature becoming human. This would also be the day that Jesus was conceived. An early Christian tradition held that this day occurred on the 25th of March. There was a similar tradition that held that God had originally created the earth on the 25th of March, so this tradition held that God had created the world and sent its Savior on the same day, just many years apart. It is thought that the tradition relates to the spring equinox, as March 25th is the day that it is light for 12 hours and dark for 12 hours, perfectly equal and thus the perfect day to begin something. It takes nine months to go from conception to birth for a human baby. If we calculate nine months after March 25th, then we have Christmas Day, December 25th. A final theory, and the one that generally gets the most airtime, is that early Christian leaders did not know when Jesus was born, but they did know when the common person liked to celebrate. 
Throughout the entire known world, the biggest and most important festivals all occurred in the middle of winter. This was partially because there was not a whole lot to do in the middle of winter. The fields could not be plowed, and there was not much work to be done. So instead, people liked to party. Festivals or feast days included the likes of Saturnalia, the Winter Solstice, the Feast of Sol Invictus, New Year's Day, and Yuletide. As you will remember, one of our explanations for why Christmas was developed was that the church leaders wanted to attract new converts. Those same church leaders would have also been aware of all of these festivals. If church leaders wanted a holiday that was going to be celebrated, then they had to place it in the empire's holiday season. December 25th falls right in the middle of that traditional holiday season. So just like Christmas is the culmination of our holiday season today, so too was December 25th, long before Christmas. We do not have any surviving documents that mention those early church leaders' feelings towards the way that Christmas should be celebrated. However, based on later recommendation, it is most likely that church leaders were not bothered by the fact that the new converts were likely to bring their former pre-Christian festival traditions with them. It seems that the church leaders were more concerned with growing the church than they were with directing a specific celebration agenda. I did find a letter from Pope Gregory the Great, who served from 590 to 604, that may echo the feelings of his predecessors. Do not let them sacrifice animals to the devil, but let them slaughter animals for their own food, to the praise of God, and let them give thanks to the giver of all things for his bountiful provisions. Thus, while some outwards rejoicing are preserved, they will be able more easily to share inwards rejoicings. It is doubtless impossible to cut out everything at once from their stubborn minds, just as the man who is attempting to climb to the highest place rises by steps and degrees, and not by leaps. If this was the attitude of the early church leaders, then this toleration helped to build the two separate Christmas traditions that we are still familiar with today. Historian Stephen Nissebaum summarizes it in the following way. There were always people for whom Christmas was a time of pious devotion rather than carnival, but such people were always in the minority. It may not be going too far to say that Christmas has always been an extremely difficult holiday to Christianize. It was the policy of toleration of traditional celebrations that allowed the dual Christmas tradition to exist and remain throughout time. Maybe it should have been called Christmas instead of Christmas. The next few hundred years saw the slow emergence of the Christmas traditions that we still recognize today. I already mentioned how the 12 days of Christmas grew out of the days between Christmas Day and the Epiphany. A separate tradition is the Advent season, which begins on the Sunday nearest to St. Andrew the Apostle Saint's Day, which is celebrated on November 30th, and is a time of preparation of the Nativity of Christ. It is thought that Advent was directly inspired by the Lent season of Easter and was an effective way to expand the Christmas season. Many local celebrations also emerged in this time based on local traditions and practices that accompanied the pre-Christian winter festivals. One example of a pre-Christian winter festival is the Germanic tradition of Yuletide. The merger of Christmas and Yuletide is where we get our modern Christmas trees and why we associate the word Yule with Christmas. One explanation for the growing popularity of Christmas in Western Europe is sometimes credited to the Christmas Day coronation of Charlemagne, which inaugurated the Holy Roman Empire. The so-called Carolingian Renaissance saw a resurgence in culture and education throughout the Carolingian Empire that held hegemony over modern-day France, Germany, and Italy. 
I find the actual impact of the coronation to be debatable, as the coronation occurred at a Christmas Day Mass and was performed by Pope Leo III, which means that both the King of the Franks and the Pope already celebrated Christmas, and presumably these celebrations were not just for the elite. From the beginning, there were always some Christians who disliked Christmas, either due to the way it was celebrated or due to Christmas not being a biblical tradition, but they were mostly in the minority. Anti-Christmas sentiment started to grow during the Reformation. The Reformation is generally dated from Martin Luther's publication of his 95 Theses in 1517 to the end of the Thirty Years' War in 1648. The Restoration helped to expose anti-papal sentiment that existed throughout Europe. Many different denominations formed with their own interpretations of the religion. The one we are going to focus on is called the Puritans. The Puritans, as the name suggests, were Bible purists. Their goal for Christianity was to get back to the basics of the Bible. If it was not in the Bible, then it was a papal creation, and therefore bad. As the Bible does not mention Christmas, the Puritans did not celebrate it, and even made it a matter of principle to work on Christmas Day. The Puritans were particularly widespread and active in Britain and in the American colonies, most notably Massachusetts and the other New England colonies. The most important Puritan for our Christmas story is Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell was a military and political leader in Britain during the English Civil War. He fought on the side of the parliamentarians that led to the downfall of King Charles I and temporarily installed a republic, kind of. We do not have time to get into the intricacies of Cromwell, but episode 43 of the Rex Factor podcast covers him in much greater detail, and I certainly recommend that show. The point of discussing Cromwell is that in 1644, the English Parliament, under the control of Cromwell and his fellow Puritans, declared that Christmas was to be a day of penance rather than a feast day. This meant that the English could still observe the holiday from a religious standpoint, but could not celebrate the merrier side of the holiday. After the fall of the monarchy and establishment of the Commonwealth, the Rump Parliament went a step further in 1652 by banning the observance of Christmas inside or outside of churches. This Puritan Parliament even made a point of meeting on Christmas Day from 1644 to 1656, and therefore turning it into a workday no different from any other. In the same period, they made and passed laws that mandated shops and other businesses to remain open on Christmas Day. The power of the Puritans largely collapsed after the death of Cromwell in 1658 and the restoration of the monarchy in 1660 saw many of the Puritans' harsher laws revoked, including any prohibitions on Christmas. Even so, one of the Puritan Parliament's lasting legacies was largely breaking the Christmas tradition in England. For those of you who are adults and still celebrate Christmas, how many of you would celebrate if you had not done so when you were a child? Surveys and research shows that the people who celebrate Christmas are the ones who have good memories of Christmas from their own childhoods. After 16 years of limited or no Christmas celebrations, there was little reason to revive the practice, especially considering many of the celebrations had just shifted a few days later to New Year's Day or to a month and a half later to Valentine's Day. England apparently had no need for Christmas after they had found out that they could do without it. Popularity of the holiday plummeted, and a study by the cultural historian John Golby and William Perdue helps to highlight this fact. Golby and Perdue studied issues of the Times, the most popular newspaper in London. They specifically studied issues that appeared from 1790 to 1835, and found that in 20 of those 45 years, Christmas was not even mentioned. 
In the other 25 years, the mention of Christmas was very brief and mostly uninformative. Imagine picking up a newspaper today and seeing no mention of the holiday on a single page. That is how little Londoners of that time period care about Christmas. In America, the story of Christmas was fairly similar. The New England colonies were the ones most populated by Puritans, and in those colonies the disapproval for Christmas was just as powerful. For example, in 1659, the Massachusetts General Court ordered a five-shilling fine for persons who observed Christmas in any way. And I don't just mean people who celebrated with a feast or giving presents. I mean observed in any way. This law was repealed by 1681, but just the fact it was passed in the first place shows how seriously anti-Christmas these people were. In fact, Christmas was one of the largest working days of the year, just to prove that point. Throughout the American colonies, it was really only people who were Catholic, Anglican, or the minority of non-English colonists who observed Christmas. All of the Congregationalists, Quakers, Presbyterians, Baptists, and Methodists abstained from Christmas observance. In 1758, a Presbyterian minister by the name of Samuel Davis had this to say about Christmas. I do not set apart this day for public worship, as though it had any peculiar sanctity, or we were under any obligation to keep it religiously. The early United States of America had wide variations for the observance of Christmas. Some people did not observe the holiday at all, and others had very small celebrations. Nothing of the town or statewide celebrations we see today. Most businesses remained open, government offices carried on as normal, and in the New England states, school remained in session. This had nothing to do with opposition from non-Christians, and everything to do with whether or not the various denominations thought Christmas was important or appropriate. This brings us well into the 1800s with a Christmas that looked nothing like what we are familiar with today, and far more like those early days of Christianity when Christmas was largely unheralded. So what changed? For one thing, you likely noticed that when I discussed the fallout of Christmas, I specifically talked about the British and American attitudes towards Christmas. The continental European Christmas practices largely remained unchanged. Beyond the British colonists to America, one of the largest groups were Dutch colonists, and those of Dutch descent usually continued to celebrate Christmas. The Irish Catholics, who I will say hated Oliver Cromwell for good reason, continued to celebrate Christmas as well. This kept the spirit of Christmas alive, and the spirit of Christmas was something that a certain author of fiction decided he should capture. Charles Dickens was born in the year 1812 in Portsmouth, and is perhaps the greatest English novelist of the Victorian era. Dickens became famous with the monthly serial The Posthumous Papers of the Pitwick Club, more commonly known as the Pitwick Papers, that were published from April 1836 to November 1837. His second novel, The Adventures of Oliver Twist, solidified him as one of the greats and his fame approached levels that would be more akin to our modern-day pop stars than to an author. Everyone in the English world knew who he was, but his biggest work was yet to come. In 1843, he published the novella titled A Christmas Carol. This novella was so successful that Dickens actually sold tickets to listen to him give dramatic readings of it. Between 1844 and his death in 1870, Dickens performed the readings at least 127 times, and at each performance he sold out the venue as tens of thousands of his fans came to hear him read the story of the elderly miser Ebenezer Scrooge being visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. A Christmas Carol's immense popularity helped to reignite the populace's interest in the celebration of Christmas, 
The story was not alone in sparking the explosion of popularity, as it was largely a Victorian-era movement that happened to hit at just the right time. The story and themes of Dickens did help shape what the Christmas holiday would become. It is thanks to A Christmas Carol that our modern understanding of Christmas is that of a holiday that includes family gatherings, seasonal food and drink, dancing, games, and a festive generosity of spirit. These things are essential for the Christmas season today, but as we discussed, the Christmas season was nearly non-existent for many families in England and in the Americas. A discussion of huge shifts of attitude during the Victorian era would not be complete without talking about the namesake of that era. Queen Victoria came to the British throne at the age of 18 in 1837 and reigned until her death in 1901. People absolutely adored her. Her popularity was even greater than our modern examples of Princess Diana or that of William and Kate, and her influence changed opinions all over the world. I could spend the next six years talking about all that she did in her life and around the world, but instead I'm going to focus only on what her impact was for Christmas. In 1840, three years after her ascension to the throne, she married Prince Albert. If you thought the two royal weddings that have occurred since 2011 were a big deal, then you have no idea just how large of a spectacle this was or how rapidly the newspapers followed this young couple's nuptials. This was one of the royal weddings that also worked out as Albert and Victoria grew to be very affectionate and loving toward one another. Their marriage produced nine children. The way that the king and queen cared for their children helped inspire the evolution of family values. Victoria and Albert were the queen and prince consort of the United Kingdom, but their royal houses were German in origin, specifically the House of Hanover and the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. This is important as while Christmas had fallen out in favor in England, it was still a strong tradition in Germany. Queen Victoria's House of Hanover had long celebrated Christmas behind the closed doors of the palace. Prince Albert did not want to lose or lessen his Christmas tradition just because he now lived in England, so starting in 1840, he brought his Christmas tree from Germany and into Windsor Palace. But he did not close the door behind him. Instead, the royal Christmas became a semi-public event. This was huge news and the people's attention was captured. An unpopular queen might have received pushback, but the loved Victoria and Albert were praised and to a degree copied. This was the atmosphere that A Christmas Carol was published in in 1843. An England that was willing to listen to a Christmas story, and one where they just might be willing to start celebrating again. It took a few more years for the royal family's Christmas to spread, but one of the most famous images of Christmas was captured in 1848. On December 23, 1848, the Illustrated London News published an illustration of Victoria, Albert, their at the time four children, and their governess gathered around the family Christmas tree with small presents at its base. This was the image of a perfect family Christmas, something for people all over the world to emulate. The following year for Christmas, 1849, Christmas trees were all the rage and the it item to have. A slight modification of this illustration to make it look less royal was published in America in 1850, and soon the Americans were on the Christmas tree bandwagon as well. Through the example of Victorian Albert and the popularity of Dickens, Christmas had found its way back to a central place in British and American cultures. The unifying theme of A Christmas Carol and Victoria's Christmas was the centrality of family and especially around children. The Christmas traditions that had survived through the medieval and Reformation time periods were largely the ones practiced in the pre-Christian winter solstice festivals of various societies. 
This mainly included drinking and causing mayhem in the street after attending morning church service, of course. One of the main themes of the Victorian era was a moral revival, and to a Victorian person, morals and virtues started at home, with the family. This is why the family values of Christmas that were espoused by Dickens, along with the example of Victoria, were so well received. They became the example for how to create a special holiday, and the reason we today still view Christmas as a time for family and generosity, rather than a time for feasting and public drunkenness, the way that maybe a St. Patrick's Day celebration might be viewed. That paragraph might sound like I was wrapping things up, but there is still one more important theme that we need to cover. As you are likely aware, Christmas is not just about family, it is also about making lots of money. The last development to discuss, then, is the commercialization of Christmas, and we will be using our friend Santa Claus to help guide us in that story. Santa Claus is based on a saint who typically is dated as living from 270 to December 6, 343. His name was Nicholas, and he was a Christian bishop who lived in the Greek city of Myra, which is located in modern-day Turkey. He was renowned for his generosity and gift-giving. The miracles that he performed both in life and after death developed a strong following that saw him beatified as a saint. Saint Nicholas, translated to Dutch, became Sinterklaas, and that being translated back to English is what gave us Santa Claus. Saint Nicholas was an important saint to the Dutch, and as we have previously discussed, the city of New York was originally founded by the Dutch and called New Amsterdam. This resulted in a large amount of Dutch settlers remaining in the city after the English won control of it and changed the name. Some of the descendants of the early Dutch settlers wanted to keep certain traditions of their family alive. Two of those descendants were John Pintard and Washington Irving. St. Nicholas had largely fallen out of favor in New York due to the anti-papal attitude of Americans, but Pintard and Irving saw St. Nicholas as a saint who was still worth acknowledging. Pintard attempted to have Nicholas named as the patron saint of New York, and did name him the patron saint of the New York Historical Society. Irving included stories of St. Nicholas in his 1812 publication, A History of New York. This helped to start the revival of the popularity of St. Nicholas, or as these Dutch descendants called him, Sinterklaas. The work of these two to popularize St. Nicholas was helped greatly by the publication of a poem in 1823, that has since been titled Twas the Night Before Christmas, and forms the basis of our modern concept of Santa Claus. This poem is often called the most famous poem written by an American, and is the first known work that depicts Santa Claus with reindeers and a flying sled. Although if you pay close attention to the original, then you will notice that this poem also depicts Santa as an elf. As the popularity of Christmas grew in the ways we just discussed, so too did the popularity of Santa Claus. The Santa Claus as we know him was largely a creation of six different New Yorkers, three of them we just mentioned, and another three who elaborated on Santa after, including the man who had the bright idea to start printing those Santa Claus-related Coca-Cola ads. Basically, the Santa Claus that we know today as the big, red, jolly, ho-ho-ho character is less than 200 years old and is a particularly American innovation to an old character and holiday. St. Nicholas' feast day often included gift-giving and acts of generosity, as that was what he was known for in his lifetime. Originally, his feast day was separate from Christmas, and prior to the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem, the two were rarely mixed. The feast day of Nicholas is December 6th. 
Traditional observance of St. Nicholas Day did include gift-giving, although these gifts were generally of the handmade variety. St. Nicholas was generally celebrated by Catholics or those of Dutch ancestry, and those Americans who did not celebrate the day usually exchanged gift on New Year's Day instead. The six New Yorkers who are responsible for our modern-day notions of Santa Claus wanted to partially remake his image to make it more palatable to the average American. As they also celebrated Christmas and St. Nicholas Day fell within the Advent season, it only made sense to bring those two together. Plus, many Protestant religions do not recognize saints, so it made more sense to connect him to Christmas than to try to make him popular on his own. If you remember the story of A Christmas Carol, then you will remember that one of the reasons that Scrooge hated Christmas was that it was bad for business. He had to pay people for no work, and the holiday was a time for idleness. Time is money, as they say, and a day without work for him meant a whole day without any new money. If you have ever seen a Christmas advertisement, then you know that business interests in the holiday have done a complete 180 since Scrooge. Today, businesses make the majority of their money due to holidays, and there is no holiday for cash flow quite like Christmas. This change of attitude was partially impacted by the rising popularity and changing nature of the holiday from hooligans in the streets to people at home with their families. But even more than that, it came from the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution gave us the means to mass-produce items. Prior to the revival of Christmas, St. Nicholas Day and or New Year's Day were the bigger gift-giving holidays in the United States. Once Christmas was back and Santa Claus was moved to Christmas, it became the gift-giving holiday. The manufacturing power that exploded from the mid to late 19th century allowed people to buy gifts rather than to make them. All of these changes happening at once turned Christmas from an also-ran holiday to the biggest gift-giving holiday of the year in the whole world. In turn, this made it the most important holiday to any manufacturer of gifts or decorations or any material that's needed to celebrate Christmas. A 2015 survey found that 97% of Americans buy Christmas presents, and those presents total over $200 billion annually. An estimate exists that claims 20% of all retail purchases made in the United States is Christmas-related. In contrast, the spending on Valentine's Day, Easter, Halloween, and Thanksgiving in the United States combined do not even come close to what is spent on Christmas. Rather than looking at Christmas as being perverted by commercialization, this commercialization really grew with the modern Christmas. Both largely had their genesis in the 19th century, and in many ways you cannot really have one without the other. As shown, it is more accurate to say that Christmas has always had two side-by-side traditions. One was the celebration of the birth of Jesus, and the other was the more secular festivities. Over time, the two Christmases have grown and fallen in popularity and how widespread their falling was. Over time, these two Christmases have grown and fallen in popularity and how widespread their falling was, but neither one has ever fully escaped the other. If you look at today, we still have the Christian Christmas for some people who worship quietly, and we still have the second Christmas that today includes feasting, gift-giving, and a family gathered around the tree. Some people celebrate one and some the other, with many overlapping and celebrating both. The Christmas holiday is even popular in places like Japan, where only 2% of the population are Christian, and yet many more than 2% celebrate Christmas. 
If I were to wrap up the answer to our question today of why Christmas developed into the holiday we see today, I would say it was a slow transformation that reflected the values and morals of each successive generation. Christians placed their traditions of worship in the holiday, and new converts brought with them new and different ways to celebrate the holiday. Slowly they merged to a holiday of a single name, but never really reconciled their differences. Today we are left with both Christmases. The important pieces of either are reflected in the values and morals of the person celebrating them. The commercialization of Christmas does not really change what it was 1700 years ago, since those Christians knew that the holiday they started would always be celebrated in a secular way, in addition to the religious one. The commercialization is instead a natural progression of a holiday that has always struggled to definitively define itself. But that commercialization is definitely a vital piece of the economy, and without it more than a few businesses would go bankrupt. Okay, that does it for today's episode. I hope that was as entertaining for you to listen to as it was for me to research. Special thanks to Bruce David Forbes and his book, America's Favorite Holidays, for acting as the main source for today's episode, but I did supplement his work and fact check it to craft my own narrative. Make sure to subscribe to the Why Is That podcast on your favorite podcast app, whether that is Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever podcasts are streamed. All of my contact details and social media are in the episode description. Thank you for listening to the Why Is That podcast. Cheers.